Back when my son Kevin was 16 years old, we took a father-son trip to Seattle, and we just wanted to go and see the place and explore it. And one of the first things we did was we, we bought tickets to Ride the Ducks. I don't know if you've ever been to Seattle or been to cities that have something like this, but some places have these repurposed World War II uh, land, sea vehicles by which you can get tours of, of a city. And this was really cool because they took us all around uh, downtown Seattle telling us about the history there. And they took us out and the, the inlet there and we're floating in this vehicle that we're just driving on land. And it was really, really cool. But one of the interesting things that happened on this tour was everywhere uh, we passed, it seemed like there was a Starbucks. And the guy giving the tour would ring his bell and we were supposed to cheer every time we passed the Starbucks. And uh, I didn't, because I'm a contrarian sometimes, I just didn't participate in that. But it was really fascinating to see how many Starbucks were in downtown Seattle. And if you don't know, Seattle is the birthplace of Starbucks. Back in 1971, it opened its first coffee shop. And as, as of earlier this year, there are 30,000 locations worldwide. I mean, the, the meteoric uh, growth of this company is fascinating. And if you were to be asked the question, why do you think they grew so fast? What would you say? Some people are like, oh, the coffee is amazing. And other people are like, mm, not really. <laughs> it's overpriced. But what would you say is, is one of the secrets to their success? In his book, Starbucks, Taylor Clark said that Starbucks' own internal research found that what people really want is a cozy social atmosphere above all else. Isn't that interesting? That's definitely one of the, the, the ways that company excels is providing a, a great place to gather. Even if you're among strangers, Starbucks with the aroma of coffee and the tables and the atmosphere seems just right. He goes on to say, for those seeking a refuge from the world, the cup of coffee they bought was just the price of admission. There's another writer who said Starbucks is selling hospitality. And whatever else you might think about this company, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And they go out of their way to design their places to, to make people feel welcome. But I'm going to ask the question, what if hospitality was something that we didn't have to buy, but rather something that we freely and frequently experienced? What if we didn't think of hospitality as a luxury, something that maybe if we wanted to, to splurge and spend five or six or seven or eight dollars on a cup of coffee, Rather, it's just something that is essential to the human experience. And what if you and I could be captured by a vision of what it meant to be hospitable and to extend hospitality in a world that wounds us in a thousand ways? That's the question I want to have for us in the back of our mind as we continue on in our series this summer called Life Together. Over the course of this, these summer months, we have been at Mercy Hill Church exploring what a new way of being human results in together when we follow Jesus. When we begin to understand his message of grace for us, how does that not only reconcile us to God, but also create a new community of faith in which we live out being a new human being together? So this summer, we've already looked at passages that talked about being devoted to one another, to loving one another, to serving one another, to encouraging one another, and welcoming one another. In fact, when you read the documents that comprise the New Testament that, that seek to expand what it means to follow Jesus, 
you see these one another commands or directives all over the place. And so we're exploring those this summer. And, and we're going to take one more episode and explore this idea of showing hospitality to one another. This is one of those life together directives or commands that those who seek to embody the new life that Christ gives in this world. And so I want us to begin this morning by prayer and asking the Lord to teach us um, and to, to reveal more of his will for us. And then we'll dig into the scriptures themselves. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for, for giving us a morning together where we can gather together with other people from, from all different kinds of backgrounds and, and stations in life. Some of us come here this morning, we are full of faith and rejoice in a sense of, of nearness and closeness to you. Others of us perhaps have, have tasted that once and, and it's gone now, and, and we're seeking to, to see if there can be a reconnection in that. Lord, others of us come in here this morning and we're quite skeptical and perhaps even jaded. And we're not really sure that we believe anything that has been said or sung this morning. And so wherever we are, would you meet us this morning? Would you give us a new vision of, of understanding who Jesus is and the implications of the good news that he proclaims for each one of us and cause us to leave this place transformed and encouraged this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans was written by a man named Paul, who is a hand-picked ambassador of Jesus Christ to the non-Jewish world. And so he's wanting to go visit a group of early followers of Jesus in Rome. So he sends them this letter. And in chapter 12, he makes an appeal to them. And this is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, whenever we see a passage like this, and there's the word therefore, we ought to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Paul has been spending 11 chapters uh, explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now he makes a turn and begins explaining the implications of it. For those who embrace it, how should they live out the good news of Jesus Christ in this world? And so he, he goes and he explains all this. Let me just give a little bit of background information. Maybe you're familiar with the book of Romans or maybe it's completely new. Paul begins in chapter one by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now the apostle Paul, if you remember before he became a follower of Jesus was a persecutor of Jesus in his community. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees probably in with a group that conspired to put Jesus to death. And he was on his way to arrest some Christians, have them thrown into jail, perhaps have them executed when he himself met the resurrected Jesus and his life was transformed. He experienced the forgiveness of sins. He experienced the power of God that he talks about here. And his life was forever changed. And he went around the, the Roman Empire starting new communities of Jesus followers because wherever he proclaimed the good news about Jesus, People believed it and embraced it, found themselves reconciled to God, and found themselves in communities of faith that explored a new way of being human together. In chapter 2, he says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's heart is kind, like we, we sung about earlier today, full of mercy, abounding in love. And all of that is meant to lead us back to him. But Paul tells us in chapter 3, he says, There is none who is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. He says, naturally, we don't have a hunger and thirst for God. If, if anything, 
we're like a robber who doesn't want to meet the police, all right? We have an aversion to, to wanting to seek God. And this is Paul saying this, not, not me. He's, he's expanding the teaching of Jesus. And he says, look, naturally, no one lives perfectly. No one is righteous in the relationship with God. No one is righteous in relationships with one another. We kind of all are self-centered and self-focused. And that's an issue. But that's exactly what the gospel of Jesus Addresses. So he says to us in, in chapter 5, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that causes Paul to say, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Paul himself was blown away by the fact that God himself would show mercy to people like him, to people of all kinds of backgrounds and situations and histories. And it causes him to rejoice because now, through Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. We can know him. We can be in relationship with him. And so Paul, he begins to show his hand to us of where he's going in, in chapter 8. He says to these early followers of Jesus, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I mean, he, he's just explained how, how we naturally are slaves to sin, almost conceived of as a power that gets us to do what it wants us to do. So he says, now you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So if we begin to understand the implications of the fact that God came on a rescue mission for people like us, and we believe in the gospel of Jesus, we receive that reconciliation, everything has changed. And so the most natural response that we can have now, instead of running from God, is to actually turn to him and present our lives as people who have been brought from death to life. He says there's cosmic implications of this. We know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who've been called according to his purpose. And it sets them on a trajectory to where we get at the end of chapter 11, Paul just erupting in praise. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. So when we get to chapter 12 in verse 1, when he's making an appeal to these early followers of Jesus, and he says, therefore, that's what he has in mind. This great story of God's grace poured out on people like you and me in the person of Jesus. And so in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which he's just been explaining, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The most logical implication from responding to the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus is to now present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I find this phrase to be really interesting. He doesn't say just present your souls, although he could have said that, but he says present your bodies. And I think maybe one of the reasons for that is because we are embodied creatures. We are souls that inhabit bodies. And God redeems us, and so we, we present our entire selves to him as a, as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, like in the ancient world they would sacrifice animals and put them on the altar. But he says, like, as a living sacrifice, put yourself on the altar and offer yourself up to God. He said, this is holy and acceptable to God. The idea is kind of like this. We have a song that we sing here at Mercy Hill Church called, All I Have is Christ. And it has this line in it where we sing, Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. And that's the idea. If we understand the great news about what God has done for us in the person of Jesus, then we want to offer our lives in response and say, Father, use my ransom life 
in any way you choose. I'm yours. And he says, the Apostle Paul, he says that when you do this, when you present yourselves as, li- as a living sacrifice, this is actually your spiritual worship. Worship is, is from the old English word, where in, in our English language, from the old English word of worship. It's somebody who's worthy of something. And when he says it's your spiritual worship, whenever we see that word spiritual in, in the scriptures, it, it means life that's animated by the Spirit of God himself. So that when we turn and we offer ourselves to God as, as a living sacrifice, this is a way that we worship. So I know when we think uh, oftentimes of worship, we think about Sunday mornings, right? <laughs> Coming together and, and singing songs. And that is part of worship. But that's only part of it. Our whole life is meant to be one continual act of worship to the Lord. And so when we do that, there's certain implications of this new life that is to be fleshed out among us. And so you'll see these one another commands. And he has some of them in chapter 12. So, for example, in verse 10, he says, love one another with a brotherly love, with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You want to know what God's will for you is? He wants you to to exhibit a new way of being human, to, to actually excel in loving one another. That's the ethic Jesus lived, uh, left us to live by, right? Outdo one another in, in showing honor. There's to be a, a sort of a competition among ourselves in, in the way that we seek to honor one another. But then he gets to, to verse 13 and he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you know anything about the history of Christianity, you know that after the, the death of Jesus, there was this an event that took place called the resurrection in which Christ came back and he showed himself alive by many convincing proofs, even showing himself alive to 500 people at one time. And this early movement of the good news of Jesus spread like wildfire, but especially among the poor. So there was this care and concern for the poor. But one of the new ways we live out being human as we follow Jesus together is to seek to show hospitality. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of that word Hospitality. I think culturally, when we think of hospitality, we think of things like Martha Stewart and, you know, the, the art of cooking exquisite meals or, or maybe decorating your house in such ways to, to impress other people. And, and if, if you excel at that, great. But that's not really what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality. Our culture thinks of hospitality in terms of a performance to impress other people. Biblically speaking, hospitality is to create space in order to bless other people to show the love of Christ to others. So when it says here, seek to show hospitality, the original language says this, strive after or or pursue. That's what the original language means. Strive after hospitality, pursue hospitality. And so the Christian Standard Bible translates it as pursue hospitality. The New International Version simply says practice hospitality. The New Living Translation paraphrases it like this, always be eager to show hospitality hospitality. The biblical idea, what God's will is for you and for me, is to open our lives in such a way that we can bring blessing to other people. A few weeks ago, I, I notified, or not notified, I gave this quote by Ann Voskamp, who's a writer, in which she said, the tone of our world wounds us in a thousand ways. I remember when I read that, that's kind of arrested me, and I'm like, that's exactly a great way to describe the world. And if the tone of our world wounds us in a thousand ways, if we want to follow Jesus, 
We follow him in a way that brings healing in a thousand ways. And hospitality, my friends, is first and foremost among the ways in which we can do that. In fact, another apostle by the name of Peter wrote to some early Christians living in the midst of intense persecution. And he said to them, above all, keep loving one another. Show hospitality to one another. So hospitality should be a mark of people who want to follow the Lord Jesus. I have a book called The Hospitality Commands, and the author, Alexander Strach, said this. He said, there is nothing in this world like self-sacrificing genuine Christian love to encourage, inspire, comfort, and build others up. But how, in practical, down-to-earth terms, do we show more genuine Christian love and community? One clear answer, he says, is hospitality. And so, my friends, I want to take what we've said so far and just bottom line this for us. The practical, tangible way that we love one another is by showing hospitality to one another. The practical, tangible, down-to-earth ways in which we can love one another is simply by being hospitable to one another. And so, my friends, remember the the gospel-inspired logic here. This kind of life flows from an understanding of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation of everything. In fact, when we think about the foundation of the gospel of Jesus, that's the edifice upon which we are to build our own lives. So, for example, when the early followers of Jesus understood how devoted God was to them in Christ Jesus, they became devoted to one another. When they began to understand how much God loved them, they began to love one another. When they began to see how God had served them at their point of deepest need, they began to serve one another. When they began to experience the the welcome of God, how God himself has showed hospitality to them and welcoming them back to him and giving us an eternal kingdom, we began to welcome and show hospitality to one another. Again, Alexander Strauch is helpful. I don't think most Christians today understand how essential hospitality is to fanning the flames of love and strengthening the Christian family. Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share our most prized possessions. We share our family, our home, our finances, food, privacy, and time. Indeed, we share our very lives. So hospitality, he says, is always costly. But through hospitality, through the ministry of hospitality, we provide friendship, acceptance, fellowship, refreshment, comfort, and love in one of the richest and deepest ways possible for humans to understand. So my friends, when we see this challenge from the followers of Jesus, those early followers of Jesus, to live out the new life that Christ gives us by showing hospitality to one another. This is something that is essential. This should be a a major part of our lives. In in my own life, this was very formative. I mentioned earlier in the service, when I became a Christian at age 16, I was this punk of a high school kid. And uh, I'm still that in many ways. But but I remember there's some some Christians who opened their lives to me in very unique and practical ways. There, there was this man named Eric Hartland and his wife, Joan. And Eric was a businessman. He was traveling all over the place. And he invited this high school punk who just was beginning to understand who Jesus was. 
into his house and into his family. And I remember just spending time with him and just asking him all kinds of questions about Jesus and about the Bible. And I remember one time specifically um, sitting out in his uh, pool in the back and we were on those flotation devices. And I was just asking him question after question. And it was so formative in my own life because he welcomed me. And looking back now, I'm like, that man was way too busy to, to give me the time of day. But he opened his life to me. And it's never been the same since. I remember another couple by the name of Sonny and Janice Campbell. And as a high school, college kid, I was a part of their life group. And we had uh, the small group that met week in and week out. And there were older people, and, and me and one of my friends, we were the youngest people in there. And it's just kind of this cross-section of life. And they opened their house week in and week out to this young person seeking to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so my own life has been hugely impacted by hospitality of, of other Christians. And I want my life to be the same. And so, my friends... As we bottom line that, the tangible, practical, down-to-earth ways in which we can love one another is by showing hospitality to one another. So let's, let's apply this to our lives. I mean, it seems simple enough, right, to be hospitable to one another. Let's dial down on that and dig deep for just a little bit. So here's the first question. <laughs> Are you a hospitable person? Does your life communicate an openness to others? Are you wanting to, to bring people in and to befriend them? And to seek to love them and, and to bless them. Not because you're trying to sell someone on the, you know, a business plan or not because you're, you're trying to convert them or anything like that. But simply because you're a hospitable person. You, you've understood the hospitality that God has shown to you. You begin to extend that to other people. You create space to bless others. Does that, does that describe you? It's a good question to ask. Now, let me just say, I, th I think some of us can do this very well. I mean, I know some people who excel at this, and, and I can learn a lot from that. And, and some of us find this more challenging. And if that's the case with you, I want you to see first and foremost, before God wants you to be hospitable, he wants you to understand the hospitality he's already extended to you. He wants you to experience that and to be transformed by that so that he can then use your life to offer welcome to other people and let the blessings he flows into your life overflow your life into the life of other people. Now, let me just have one caveat here. Now, I know there's sometimes there are, there are seasons in life where this becomes next to impossible. Maybe there's a health issue or maybe uh, there's, there's new kids and you're just frazzled or whatever. We'll get that. That's, that's, that's okay. But the question we want to ask in general is what is your, heart, your heart's condition towards other people? Do you want to welcome people into your life? Do you want to, to show hospitality to other people? Now, some of us, it, it's really easy to make excuses. It, it's easy to be filled with really good intentions and, and want to do this at some point, and we just never get around to doing it. But if we understand what the scriptures say, this is something God wants us to do to put this into practice. Or as one theologian said, Christian hospitality is a matter of obedience to God. This is God's will for us as we follow Jesus. To begin to open our lives more and more and to welcome people in. Some of you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. He was um, a Christian living in Germany at the time of Adolf Hitler. And he actually was um, arrested as part of a, an attempt to take out uh, Adolf Hitler, and uh, he spent the, the last years of his life in, in isolation in a cell. He had some visitors every once in a while, but before that even happened, 
Uh, he wrote this classic book called Life Together, which is where we're taking the title of our messages uh, from. And he said this, it's simply not to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. It's simply not to be taken for granted that you and I have the privilege of living around other Christians. It could be the case where we live somewhere where it's extremely costly for us to even gather together with another Christian. The government might have its eyes on us or, or jump in and break that meeting up. Or maybe like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there might be a, a time in our life where it really costs us something, maybe even jail time or prison to follow Jesus. But we're not there yet. And so the question I have is, do we take it for granted that we get to live among other Christians? So that's the, the first point of application. Let's evaluate ourselves and ask the question, are we hospitable people? Here's, here's the second point of application. Offer your home to God. Offer your apartment to God, your, your living space to God. Now, if, if Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, these bodies that we inhabit dwell in certain spaces. And so could we say as an extension of that command, as an application of that, is that we offer our lives, and especially the places that we live, in hospitality to others. Uh, maybe, maybe we've never thought of that. But let's ask the question, how could we use our very lives, the resources, the places that God has given us to live in to create space to bless other people? Maybe you can say something like, God, I've, I've never thought of using my home in this way to, to bless others, to create space, to, to get to know others and enter their stories and ask questions and, and see how I can bless them. Maybe that's something new. And if that's the case, maybe ask God to help you envision what that might look like. I know some of us are probably like, all right, my house is so messy that it would not be a blessing for anyone to come over. And if that's the case, it, the, the idea is to have an open life. And so I know some people who, who work a lot and they're never home. They hardly ever make meals for themselves, but they, but they excel in, in taking other people out for a meal or for a coffee. That's an application of hospitality and opening their lives to one another. So when I say offer your home to God, the application is basically an extension of, of offering our very lives to God. Say, Father, use me in my ransom life in any way you choose. How can I be a blessing to other people? I mentioned meals just a moment ago, and that's actually one of the key ways that we can go about doing this. Uh, there's a, a book by Tim Chester called A Meal for Jesus, or A Meal with Jesus, rather. And he says in this, these words, hospitality involves welcoming creating space, listening, paying attention, and providing. Meals slow things down. Some of us don't like that. We like to get things done. But meals force you to be people-oriented instead of task-oriented. Sharing a meal is not the only way to build relationships, but it is number one on the list. I appreciate that. I think it's interesting that just culturally, in cultures around the world, that's one of the ways that people open up lives to one another is by sharing a meal together or grabbing a cup, a cup of coffee at Starbucks or whatever your favorite place is or, or whatever it is. Opening your life is, has to be intentional and, and sharing things like meals is one of the great ways that we can express hospitality to one another. I knew a college student one time who kind of began to, to grab hold of this and uh, he, he said, I want to use my life to show hospitality, but I'm a poor college kid and I don't have many resources, but what he started doing was inviting people over and making grilled cheese sandwiches 
with Top Ramen. <laughs> and I was like, that's beautiful, actually. You know, that, that's, you're getting it. I remember when I was in seminary, another person that impacted my life was a fellow named Bebo Elkin. And uh, he, was, he was my boss. He was a, a seminary professor. Uh, but every Saturday morning, he got out in his yard and he worked on his cars. He had like two or three uh, classic Z28 cars. And, uh, and he worked on them. They didn't need to be fixed necessarily, but he just took them apart and put them back together. And he just invited whoever wanted to come over and hang out with him to come out and hang out with him while he works on this. But at noon, every Saturday, everything would stop and they would gather around a table and he put hot dogs out for everybody to eat. And it was interesting because this fellow Bebo, he's, he's, a, he's an interesting guy, but he lived in this, this beautiful kind of a classic Southern home in the, the neighborhood of Bellhaven in Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember talking with him one time. I said, Bebo, you have this beautiful home here. And uh, it, it's just, it's kind of funny that you serve everybody hot dogs. You know, that's what, not what most people think of when they think of, of Southern hospitality. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I'd rather serve hot dogs and have a table full of friends than think my house has to be perfectly clean, serve steaks and fine wine, and never get around to hospitality. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Don't be held captive by cultural ideas of trying to impress other people. Maybe the best thing we can do is, is to try not to impress anyone and just serve hot dogs or top ramen and plastic bowls and plates. But it's an opening of our lives to other people. That's what the scriptures are getting us towards. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to become a hospitable person. Let me just say, I know there's, there's some people who actually excel at decorating, and that's one of the ways they show love. And if that's you, I mean, don't feel guilty if you like to do that. If you know how to cook an amazing meal, I mean, just go for it. Just don't let that idea hold you captive and thinking that if I, if I can't do that, I can't be hospitable. That's, that's not what the scriptures are after. So here's the last point of application. My friends, we need to pursue this intentionally. We can have good intentions and say, yes, this is something that I need to do. We can say, it, I, I do believe that following Jesus entails showing hospitality to others. And we just leave it in the place of, of theory, of, of good ideas, and it never gets practical. So my friends, I want to challenge you to carve out specific time in which you're seeking to be hospitable, first and foremost to one another, as this young community of faith, as we lean in to get to know one another's stories and, and open our lives up. Let me encourage you to do it with one another. But even beyond that, and so maybe something for you would be like setting aside one time a month where you say, okay, we're going to use this time every month where I'm just going to intentionally invite people into my life and seek to bless them or maybe go out for a meal together. I know of one family who was new to a church and they said, you know what, we're going to come into this church and one of the things we're going to do is we're going to invite every person over to our house over the course of a year. And they did it. And at the end of this year, they knew everyone, at least by name, and they knew a lot of stories. And from that, they made some good lifelong friends. That's, that's something that is something that we can do. It's something that won't freak some people out. But the idea behind it is do not neglect to show hospitality. And the scripture says this is not only a good idea, it's something we ought to do. So don't neglect to show hospitality to one another. And so if the idea of, of maybe doing this for everyone freaks you out, think of it this way. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. 
Some of you are, are really outgoing and you can thrive and excel at this. And the more, the merrier. I know my daughter, Miranda, every time we have people over, she's like, I wish they could live with us. You know, just the more people and the more kids around, the more happy she is. And uh, it, it, for others of us, the more people around, the crazier it gets, the more I lose, you know, my sanity and all that. Again, the idea is, is opening your life. And so maybe for some of us, the place we can begin is just doing it for one other person. Maybe you're not wired in a way where you can get to know everybody. That's okay. It's hard to get, even in a room this size, to get to know everybody, isn't it? But maybe do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So my friends, as we wrap this up, let me just ask the question, what if? What if those of us who call Mercy Hill Church our home excelled at the art of hospitality? Not the art of impressing other people, but the art of creating space to welcome other people in our lives as we seek to, to bless them and put into practice God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you another what if question. What if we neglect to do this? What if we go, yeah, that's, that's nice, but that's for someone else to do? And what if that kind of attitude took over our whole community of faith? What if none of us showed hospitality to one another? How would that affect the way we are as a community of faith? How would that affect the mission of this church, which is to make disciples, to see lives transformed? If all we are is a bunch of strangers to one another, that's really hard for us to carry on any kind of life together, any kind of mission with Jesus together. So I just want to ask that what if question. Places like Starbucks might be selling hospitality, but what if it just overflowed naturally in our own lives where people were blessed because of the open welcome that we gave to one another. One last quote. Starts once again as helpful. Unless we open the doors of our homes to one another. Well, let me rephrase that. Unless we open the doors of our lives to one another, the reality of the local church as a close-knit family of loving brothers and sisters is only a theory. My friends, let's not make this only a theory, a theory in our lived experience with one another. Let's make this actually a, a lived reality with one another as we take steps, and maybe even baby steps, to welcome one another into our life. So Mercy Hill Church, may you excel in showing hospitality to one another.